to please turn with me to the portion of scripture we read together a few moments ago. Please turn to Matthew and Matthew chapter 4 and the beginning of the chapter. Matthew chapter 4. So in May 1974, in what was at that time Kinshasa in Zaire, the young upstart, a Mr. Muhammad Ali, was pitted against a formidable foe. He was permitted, pitted against the, I think, the reigning undisputed heavyweight champion of the world at that time, Mr. George Foreman. Okay, this was a huge event. This was, of course, the rumble in the jungle. One of the greatest boxing matches in living memory. You see that rumble in the jungle? Ali versus Foreman. It is absolutely nothing when compared to what we are going to look at tonight. Okay, because... What we've got here in Matthew chapter 4, what we have here is where the evil one, you know, with all his powers of wickedness and all the powers of darkness, the evil one goes head to head, he goes toe to toe with Jesus Christ, with the holy and the perfect Son of God. So get it? This is momentous, what we're reading here. This is, this is massive. It's, it's huge. But you see, it is also immensely significant. You see, when we think of the atonement, when I say the word atonement, what do you think of? When we think of the atonement, we think of the cross of Christ, right? We do, don't we? Now, that's great, and that's correct, and that's fine. Atonement, we think the cross. But we do also need to think a bit deeper, and we need to think a bit wider when we're thinking about the atonement as well. Because you see, Jesus Christ did not just sort of suddenly appear age 33 in Jerusalem in the first century, did he? And he just... You know, it's not like that. And then suddenly in a sort of week, he annoyed some Jewish guys and you know, some Jewish authorities and they, 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 they killed him and sent him to the cross. That's not what happened, is it? No. In order for Jesus to take um, your place, in order for him to atone for sin, not only did Jesus Christ have to die, what else had to happen? Jesus Christ had to live the life that you could not live, didn't he? I mean, Jesus Christ had to live the life. He had to face on earth all the sort of difficulties that you face. And guess what? He had to face all the temptations that you have to face in your life too, while all the time remaining sinless. So you see, that's what we've got here. This is an incredibly significant section of scripture. It's an incredibly significant event. Why? Because all the way through this, there's a question that that sort of hangs in the air, if you like. You know, a question that sort of sits in the the background. And the question is, is Jesus Christ going to be able to do this? Is Jesus 
going to be able, when all the sort of full force of the devil's going at him, is he going to be able to do what, what no one else has ever been able to do? And is he going to be able to resist this temptation and remain faithful to God and therefore, because of that, be fit. Be fit to live and die is that substitute for your sin. This is massive. This is so significant in this section of scripture. Tonight, the plan is simple. Okay? We're going to look at this section under these following headings. I'll give you the headings just now. We'll consider the temptation to doubt his father's provision. Then we'll consider the temptation to direct his father's hand. And then thirdly, we'll consider the temptation to dishonor his father's name. I think I'll give you those again, okay? The temptation to doubt his father's provision. The temptation to direct his father's hand. Thirdly, the temptation to dishonor his father's name. So, I guess somewhat predictably, let us start with the first of those, the first test. And let's think about the temptation to doubt his father's provision. And we have got something to deal with here, don't we? Before we get to the test. Something we've got to deal with. Because you see, look what we're told in the very first verse of this section. See it? Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. So we're told there then that these sort of attacks from the devil, these tests from the devil, they don't come as sort of out of the blue for God. They don't come as a surprise to God. Hang on, we're told that God has instigated this situation here. He's led Jesus by the Spirit. Now, surely you're asking, why would God do that? Why would God allow Jesus to be tested by Satan? Right? Well, do you see where about all of this took place? And did you notice that? Jesus is led by the Spirit where? What does it say? He is led by the Spirit into the desert. Okay? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, what we've got to pick up on, what we've got to get is through this whole event, there's something in the background. Through this whole event, the people of Israel's wilderness wanderings in the Old Testament, they're in the background all the way through these temptations here. That's why at each of these tests, where does Jesus quote from? He quotes from Deuteronomy. That's why Jesus is in the wilderness here. That's why he's in the desert. That's why, look, it is 40 days and 40 nights that he's fasting. He parallels the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness. You see it? Jesus was led by the Spirit. And it's not just about preparing Jesus for for his earthly ministry. It is that, but it's more. It's to see whether, unlike the, the people of Israel, that unlike the people of God, to see whether Jesus would resist all of these attacks, all of this temptation to, to doubt and forsake God. 
Jesus is led by the Spirit. Okay. Let's think about the substance of this first temptation. And note with me, um, note how it begins. See how it begins. It, the first test and the second test, they both begin with a challenge, don't they? Do you see that? They both begin with Satan questioning Jesus and saying, if you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God. That's really true. Do this. Now, I accept that you might be thinking that that is a strange thing for Satan to say, if you are the Son of God. So it might help to see that this is not a question of doubt. You see, it's not the case, is it, that either Satan or Jesus are unsure about Jesus' identity, are they? I mean, think about what's just happened, what Paul read. What happened at Jesus' baptism? You know, the Father has just declared Jesus' identity to, to all who can hear it. He has just declared that Jesus Christ is his Son, who he, he loves. It's not a question of doubt, is it? But it is a question where Satan is challenging Jesus Christ to prove his sonship. And to prove his identity. And in this first test, what Satan does, as you can see, is he tries to tries to cajole Jesus, or he tries to coax Jesus into making life easier for himself, doesn't he? Like, do you see what he says? Satan speaks to, to Jesus, and he says, "Right, okay, if you are the Son of God, then what does he say? Tell these stones to become bread." Okay, tell the stones to become bread. And this is, this first test, this is all about Satan saying to Jesus, look, here's how it is, Jesus. Your father's not going to take care of you. You know, you're, you're in the desert here. Your father is not going to care for you properly through this earthly ministry that you've concocted together. He is not going to care for you, Jesus. So you use your own power, Jesus, to look after yourself. That's what this is about. Now, I wonder, tonight, do you see how disastrous it would have been if Jesus had gone along with this? If if Jesus had given in to, to this temptation here? Do you see that? Do you see how disastrous it would be for you and for me? See, if Jesus had used his power here for his own benefit, okay, if he'd gone down this route of sort of self-gratification, yeah, not only would he be sinning against God, not trusting in God's provision, but do you see it? He would also be abandoning this, this representative life. He'd be abandoning this life of, 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 of suffering, this representative human life that he needed to live in order to save us and to atone for sin. See, we look at this and we think, well, actually, for Jesus, it's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, Jesus can do anything. Turning stone into bread, why didn't he do it? It's not a big deal. How wrong we are. Our 
salvation. Your very redemption was at stake here. And I would at that just ask you to note two very small details about this first test here. Let's notice two things here, okay? Would you please notice the timing of Satan's temptation? Think about the timing when it happens. You see, the devil attacks Jesus here at a time of um, great spiritual refreshment for Jesus, doesn't he? I mean, there's just been this glorious triune display at his baptism, hasn't there? And there's been this just wonderful sort of reassuring declaration of his identity from his father, glorious for him, and he's just fasted and he's prayed for 40 days. I mean, this is just so spiritually rewarding, refreshing for Jesus. And guess what? It is then, bang, that Satan attacks him. And it comes at a time of physical weakness. Spiritual high, but there's a sort of physical low here as well, isn't there? Jesus has just fasted for 40 days. And Matthew tells us uh, something explicit. He tells us that Jesus was hungry. 40 days fasting, he's hungry. And now he's starving. He's weak. And what happens? Bye. Then Satan attacks. And he attacks him. How? He attacks by tempting the hungry man with what? With the very thing he needs, with bread. Now folks, I would urge you tonight to pay attention. Pay attention to the timing of Satan's attack. Why is it important for you to pay attention to the timings there? Because this is how it is going to be for you. This is when Satan is going to attack you. You know, when you've had, let's say, a a spiritually rewarding weekend, or, you know, you've been reading scripture, and it's been alive for you in your heart, and you can read it, and you're loving it, and you're walking with God. Satan is going to want to bring you down. When you are your physically weakest, you know, when you're really struggling and it's just, you're exhausted, you are physically low again, guess what? It is then, it's that time Satan is going to come for you and you have to be ready to face the temptation. And so all the more, I heard you see the other detail from this text. Notice Jesus' response. In fact, scrap that. Notice Jesus' word-based response. You see, Satan attacks Jesus here, okay? And he he tests Jesus and all this force coming at Jesus and his wickedness. And what does Jesus do? How does he respond? He responds with scripture. He quotes the Bible. He goes to Deuteronomy, doesn't he? And he responds that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the face of all this attack, his response is to appeal to Scripture. 
Now, the lesson that we've got to learn from that is surely that this is how we too must respond when the devil tries to take us away, to, to test us, to drag us away from God. You see, this week, I was thinking earlier on about the, the, you know, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. You know that, do you? We're familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We teach it in Sunday school quite a lot, you know? The armor of God, you know, the sorts of things, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and so on. But you see, although it's called the armor of God, and that's right, of course, if you think about all of those things, most of them are about what? They're about defense. They're called the armor of God, but they're about defense. You know, a helmet, a shield, a belt, it's all about defense. But what's the one weapon of attack that's mentioned? It's a sword, right? But what is the sword? It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the weapon of attack. You see, when we are confronted by Satan tempting us, the only way that we can fight back is to do exactly what Jesus Christ does here and we fight back and we battle back with Scripture. That when we are tempted, you know, at that moment of temptation in our lives, that what we do is we run and we run and we grab a Bible and we open it and we read it and we immerse ourselves in Scripture. Really, that's what we do when we are tempted. And if we cannot find a Bible, and if a Bible is not there, then guess what we do? We resolve tonight to know Scripture so well that we get out of there at that point of temptation and we go somewhere and we call Scripture to mind and we meditate upon God's Word. What we see here is that Satan is trying to get Jesus to to doubt his identity you ought to doubt certainly God and God's provision. But he battles back. And he battles back with the word. So the temptation here, the temptation to doubt the Father's provision. Okay, secondly, let's, let's think about the temptation to direct the Father's hand. So we've had the idea of doubting his father's provision. Let's think, secondly, about the temptation to direct the father's hand. I don't know about you, but um, one of, uh, one of the, the main fears of my life is the fear of heights. Okay? I'm a wuss when it comes to heights. And perhaps because of that, the second test here... It uh, takes on this added sort of sense of foreboding or terror. Because look at what happens here. Jesus Christ is taken by Satan to the holy city. That's what we're told. The holy city. And he's made to stand on, what is it, the highest point of the temple. Now, was this uh, a real physical visitation to Jerusalem? Or was it just uh, a vision for Jesus? 
We don't know. It matters not. Instead, what's important is what the devil tempts Jesus to do here. Okay, so do you see what the devil tempts Jesus to do? He tells Jesus to jump off the temple. Okay, he tells Jesus to throw himself from the highest point. Why is he doing that? Why is the devil, why is he taking him to the highest point of the temple and told Jesus to, to jump off? What's that all about? Well, you see, he's trying to get Jesus, he's tempting Jesus to try and to influence his father. He's trying to get Jesus to test God. He's trying to see if, if God will come to Jesus' rescue and to save him from harm. This is a, a temptation. This is a filthy temptation. I mean, it's really disgusting. It is a temptation to try and get Jesus to manipulate his father. And let's notice here just the one aspect of this temptation together, shall we? Just one thing here. Think about this. Let's notice that this temptation is a temptation to submit to the misuse of Scripture. Temptation to submit to the misuse of Scripture. Okay. Sounds great. What does it mean? Well, see, look how Satan puts this and frames and words and works this temptation for Jesus. Do you see this? See, he doesn't just ask or tell Jesus to jump off or to throw himself off the temple, it's not as simple as that. Look what Satan does. The devil quotes scripture at Jesus. The devil quotes scripture at Jesus. He uses the devil. He uses Psalm 91. And he thoroughly, totally misapplies what Psalm 91 says. He makes it seem as though Psalm 91 sort of makes it legitimate that Jesus Christ sort of tempted God. And manipulate God. Now, you can argue about this with me later on, but I think there's there's much in these verses that we ourselves will never be tempted by, right? I'm not sure when the last time you were tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread, for example. I'm sure it probably has never happened. But I would ask you, do you see how relevant this is? Do you see how relevant this temptation to concur with a misuse of Scripture is? This is relevant. Because you see, because we, we care about, let's say, the church so much. And we care about what we like in church and what we dislike in church. We care about things like the praise, for instance. We care about how people live out their faith and we care about what people do and don't do on Sundays because we care so much about these things that we can be tempted, maybe even subconsciously, to take out and twist scripture to fit with our own likes and dislikes and our own agendas. We can use scripture subtly but out of context. You know, we can use scriptures the devil does here. We can use legitimate verses 
But we can thoroughly misapply them to, to different situations. We can twist scripture, take it out of context, and misuse the word of God. Now, yeah, you're going to say, of course, that we should never do that. And we shouldn't. And we must watch that we never, ever do that. But we've also got to watch that we don't go along with other people when they do that. When they misuse scripture in the life of the church. See, that was the temptation that was before Jesus, wasn't it? To go along with someone else's, to go along with the devil's misuse of, of, of the, the word. So here's the thing. How do we, how do we avoid this? You know, how do we stop this happening? How do we Stop going along with, with, with the misappropriation or the, the misuse or the misapplication of Scripture. Well, guess what? We do exactly what Jesus Christ does in these verses. And when we're faced with a wrong use of Scripture, what do we do? We come back with a right use of Scripture. Do you see what he does here? The devil's taking Scripture. He has twisted it. How does Jesus respond to that? He fires right back at the devil with a correct use of the word. Verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Friends, what we see here in the second temptation is that we must never, ever, ever try and manipulate God. The other thing we see We must never, ever, ever try and manipulate God's word. Point two, the temptation to direct his father's hand. So we've seen the the first two of these uh, vicious attacks from the devil. We've noted the temptation to doubt and the temptation to direct. Now, I want us to close this Lord's day by looking at a third and final test here. Let's consider the temptation to dishonor his father's name. To dishonor his father's name. And what we will see is that the the devil leaves the most serious of these temptations until last. Now, Again, here we go. Note that Jesus is taken high here, isn't he? He's taken higher than before. He is taken to, surely by vision, this time to a highest peak where he can, from this point, observe all the kingdoms of the earth. Okay, and note the content of the temptation. So the devil here, he not only shows him all these kingdoms of the world and all the riches, but he says to Jesus, Jesus, you can have all of this. You can own all of these things. That's what he says to Jesus, provided that Jesus just adhered to one simple, solitary condition. Do you see what that condition is? He can have all of this, provided he bowed. That he kneel before the feet of Satan. Now, I wonder, do you see what's going on? Do you see what the father of lies is up to there? Do you see it? Satan is trying to tempt Jesus with a shortcut. 
That's what he's trying to do. A shortcut. He's saying to Jesus, look, you can be exalted. Jesus, you can be praised. You don't have to die for these people. You don't have to suffer for these people. You don't have to go to the cross. I, Satan, will give you this exaltation. I will give you these riches. You do not have to die for humanity. You just need to bow and bow to me. Do you see how weighty this is? You see the significance of what's going on here? And I tell you, we've looked at lots of many things. We've looked at loads of different points here tonight. But if there was any one thing that you let resonate with your soul this evening, let it be this. Please see the victory that Jesus Christ wins here over Satan. See the victory of it all. See in that boxing match that we were talking about, the one that we started with earlier on, the rumble in the jungle. Towards, I think it was the eighth round, the end of the eighth round, Foreman's staggering, you know, and he's, he's tired and he's really, really struggling. So Ali comes in and he hits him with a combination and he lands a sort of high right hand to the, the side of Foreman's head and Foreman goes down. And he hits the canvas, you know, and the fight is over. I'll tell you, this in Matthew 4, as we have seen, is a much greater deal, isn't it? And so it is a much, much greater victory. Have a look at how the victory is won. Satan has tried to tempt Jesus away from from honouring his father. He's tempted him with this wicked sort of shortcut to, to glory. But such is Jesus' absolute abhorrence of this, you know, total revulsion at this thought, that instead of replying in the way that he's done previously, instead of replying just with, with, with scripture, look how Jesus speaks to Satan here. He prefaces this with an imperative. Doesn't he? I mean, he commands the devil. He says, away. Away here. Away from me, Satan. And what happens? What's the result here? Do you see it? Verse 11, the devil leaves him. The devil flees here. And the battle is won. And the victory was Christ's. You see, friends, this whole section, everything here. See these three tests. You distill them down, and they're about one thing. These things here, this section is about destruction. That's what this whole section is about. Satan is out to destroy. The devil is intent on causing a schism within the Trinity. That's what he's doing. He is intent as well on causing Jesus to sin. And get this. He is intent on destroying any chance that you might have of being saved. This is about your redemption here. This is so serious. Satan here 
He wants you in hell. That's what he wants. So all the more we should, we should rejoice this evening because of what we see here. That those evil, wicked, horrific plans and schemes of the devil, they fall flat on their face here. That Jesus Christ, that he stood firm and tall against these tests, that he resisted, that what he did was transform these temptations and he transformed them into this marvelous triumph. That he did it. That he stood and resisted this temptation and he lived the life that we couldn't, can't live. That he went on to die the death that we could not die. He atoned for sin. The perfect life was lived. And it was then offered for our wickedness. So you go home tonight. Hear this. You go home tonight and on the way home, you rejoice in what God has done for you. You do that. Because your saviour has defeated Satan. He is defeated. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he reigns forevermore. And he reigns as the victor. So let all the honour and all the glory be heaped upon his most holy name.